0: Welcome back to the Second Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fritz. It is Saturday, the day of Paris-Roubaix Femme, and we are right at this very moment on the side of mons en This is the second sector that we are at today. We're going to do a little chatting right now, but obviously the race is not over, so we'll do the rest of the analysis. Oh, I just fell in a hole. <laughs> We're going to do the rest of the analysis from the finish in Roubaix.
1: Amy Jones, how are you? Hello, good afternoon. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Johnny Long,
0: we're uh, we're on the side of Mont How are you feeling right now?
2: I'm feeling great. The dust is uh, all up in me, and I couldn't feel better. It's getting in my teeth. It's everywhere, and we're not even racing.
0: And of course, Rona McLaughlin, how are you? <laughs>
1: I'm <good>. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Nobody i was wants to me to To
0: be sharing that
1: mic? Well, at least the balsamo just had. I don't know what just happened to us. So I'm like watching yeah. on my.
0: So, yeah, we are, like I said, we're on the side of Manzan Pavel, which is a five-star sector. And, Amy, what, what's going on at the moment? What's what's the rundown? In the what race? For? Yeah, what's happened in the bike race? Chaos. Absolute chaos. stuff, stuff coming.
1: Uh, lots of the big names have had problems, like crashes, punctures. Ellen, Ellen Van Dyke had a crash. Yeah. Yeah, that's already changed. Johnny's showing me, yeah. Actually, no, sorry, they are still out there. So yeah, we've got three riders at the front right now, Marta Bastianelli, Lotto Copecchi and was it Brand? I
3: think it is Brand, yeah.
1: So that's a pretty good breakaway.
3: The big thing so far is the amount of wind that we have. We weren't quite expecting this much wind and it's really wreaking havoc in the peloton. We've seen echelons, we've seen when the riders get on to the and they're inevitably sending into one long line, there's splits happening in that line that you wouldn't normally see if we didn't have this kind of wind, and that's really shaping the race. I think it's made it much more difficult than you maybe anticipated for a, a perfectly dry Roubaix.
0: Well, the chopper just came into view, so I think we're gonna take a quick pause. <laughs> we'll talk you through as the riders come by. Amy, you've always wanted to be a commentator, so this your, is your have shot. Have I? This, this is your shot. Have now, I always you wanted to be a
1: commentator?
0: To- I mean the idea here is our dear listeners, we want to give them some idea of what yeah. it is like to stand on the side of a Perube cobble sector. So describe to me what you are seeing,
2: hearing, smelling, tasting. The the thing that I never realized with the cobbled sector is how narrow the roads are like you see on TV, but and then you stand right up to the side where kind of the riders want to be. Also on this sector, the camber in the road is like nothing. You wouldn't you wouldn't want to drive on it. Um, and we're just about to see them come past so like Ronin needs to get, needs to like get everyone further Everyone was off the-
1: sliding around on this one last year.
0: Yeah, so we were here in the in obviously in the mud same sector last year and watched a number of crashes. The the crown on Monte Pavel. This is part of the reason why it's a five-star sector. The crown on Monte Pavel is gnarly. It is it is oh, here severe. They here they come. Amy, what do we see on the front right now? This is a, a select group now.
1: It's on the front uh, with, with Marta Bastinelli and uh, Lucinda Brand. So that's uh, so. That's the group. Yeah. 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 Here they are. Here's the leaders. Here they are. Bastinelli's going for it.
4: Brand, see, he predicted it.
3: It's only a small 10-second gap, barely even that, and the peloton left behind with the SD works on the front.
1: Which is interesting, isn't it? Chantel, Vandenbroek Black on the front, with Christine Meiruse behind her. Elisa Longo-Borghini not far behind. About to get taken out by a rider. Is that not protecting you from it?
3: Oh, the dust!
1: Oh, my eyes! My eyes! Is that Marta? Yeah. Marta Cavalli has just gone past uh, quite a way off of the pace. Planning. Yeah, she, oof. Oh, Shimano, neutral service car, nearly taking us all out. <laughs> Remember us this way.
0: <laughs> Come on, Corinne! Corinne Lebecky. So she must have had an issue, or she, she was in the main group earlier. Anyway, we're just making guesses now, because we're out on the side, and we can't actually tell what's happening, so what we should do What we should do is head to the Roubaix Velodrome so that we can, well, find out who's going to win this thing and then finish this episode. We are in the Roubaix Velodrome. Elisa Longo-Borghini has just entered, just made the right-hand corner. Talk me through what we are seeing, Amy.
1: Elisa Longo-Borghini is giving Trek their second solo victory at Paris-Roubaix in a row. Well, she's about to anyway, and the crowd are going wild. (laughs) (laughs) She's got still 20 seconds, and here comes the next group. Yep, the next group have just entered the velodrome, and she's about to round the finishing, uh, the back straight. Sorry. So,
0: Elisa's got it. We can kind of turn our attention to the second group here and some yeah. of the dynamics there. we got obviously two more podium spots left. Ellen Van Dyke just hit the front. Yeah. So she'll be doing
1: lead out. Yeah, she will for, yeah. going there. Lucinda Brand again, still? Must be Brand. Yeah. Um, yeah, ST Works have kind of um, done a number on themselves a little bit because they've got Kopecky and Chantal Vandenberg-Black in there. Oh, Chantal just got dropped. Um, because they've been doing a lot of work to try and bring, um, Elisa back. Becky, coming around the outside. Yeah, okay, I might just be about to eat my words. So, Brand. Well,
0: I believe that was Becky, and then Brand in second and third.
3: And we're gonna go see who we can talk to.
0: How are the hands, Clara?
1: You know, they feel pretty rough, but looking at them, I'm like, oh, that's, they're actually totally intact. Like, I don't even see a blister.
0: Maybe that's the cross as well. You know how to hold on to your handlebars.
1: Oh, wait, there's one. <laughs> no, there's definitely some, like, tense grip. <laughs>
0: it's like your, your, your knuckles kind of, like, clack together, right? And And they feel swollen at all?
1: No, honestly, what started to get really irritated were my feet. Just like the constant shaking, and it's pretty hot out here. And yeah, after all that time, it was just like, wow, my feet are getting really tired. But my hands feel pretty all right.
0: Jose, welcome back to the Cycling podcast. It's been hello. a while. Hello, hello. <laughs> uh, you've been out. Doing all kinds of work here during,
4: throughout the day. Did you get to watch much of the race today? Uh, we watched the start, of course, which yeah. was uh, everybody's. Everybody's happy at the start. You could just, you could feel everybody was excited about the race and everybody was smiling. Of course, the circumstances, weather circumstances, compared to last year, were slightly less a, terrifying. Yeah, yeah, so everybody was smiling, and then we saw them at two places, and then uh, up until the velodrome for all the emotions across the line. Describe the emotions. Yeah, it's it's so monumental. Last year was even more emotional, but still being here, watching a women's Perry roubaix with all these fantastic riders who each of their own have a fantastic story to tell. Whether you're first or last, you have your own story to tell. This is that kind of race where everybody has some amazing story to tell. Once the day comes that they are a grandmother and tell their kids, <laughs> grandkids like, Grandma rode the Paris-Roubaix in 2022. <laughs> What were your big takeaways
0: from the day? I mean, obviously, the, like the weather is sort of the big one, right? The, it really changed the dynamics of the race. It made it a significantly faster race. What did you take away from it?
4: That track, Sigafredo, yet again, we're absolutely bossing it. Uh, Ellen van Dijk is amazing. She had that flat tire, had to wait like five minutes or something for a spare bike, then just made her way through the convoy and even, well, helped Elisa longo win the race because she did some expert stopping work there when everybody, whenever anybody wanted to do something they would look over their shoulders like oh my god it's Ellen van Dijk again <laughs> so um, yeah they were absolutely bossing the race that, it, that was a team performance by Trek Segafredo and, and having Lucinda Brandt on the podium means a lot to Elisa Um yet again they were the best race in the team just like basically the entire spring season.
0: Let's dive into Let's dive into kind of the tactics of the day. Uh, I mean, the the, the big one, is, as Jose said, was like Trek was once again the strongest team in the race, but we were kind of expecting, I think, a little bit more out of SD Works, and and frankly, like they were there, right? They were there was multiple riders up in the front trying to make it happen, but as we were saying right before we hit record, there's just there's nowhere to hide in Roubaix, and something was missing from SD Works today. What do you think it was? Do you know?
1: I don't know. <laughs> I mean, no, I really don't. I mean. <laughs> There's just so many factors at play, I guess. Like, there's we were saying before how unpredictable this race was going to be, and like it was completely different to last year as well. Like, you, they've got a really strong rider in Christine Myrus as a domestique, and she's actually a cross rider, so I guess last year's conditions would have suited her more than this year. And so maybe there's a bit of like they lost an edge there somewhere. I don't know, really. Ronan does.
3: <laughs> I don't know if I know, but I have a theory, on that's. <laughs> So obviously at the time, we had the three riders up front, Brand, Bastinelli, and they, you know, SD works were in the same position as they were then, but when that came back together, we really seen Trek again get on the offensive. It looked like Elisa Barguini, Longo Borghini reacted to uh, Balsamo's disqualification and attacking, but what I think actually happened was just, that might have been the plan all along, to, to stay on the offensive, perhaps set up the race for Balsamo, but at the same time putting all the riders in front. And when you're in front like that, it's much easier for her teammates behind to influence the race by blocking, as opposed to the SD works teammates having to chase. And, you know, we all know in Roubaix how difficult it actually is to close gaps, chase breakaways, you know, make a difference from behind. If, if you're in front, I think that's what the key is.
2: As Balsamo came past for the podium, uh, went past Van Dyke and Van Dyke asked her, oh, did, did you crash? And like, Balsamo was like, sort of tell to her legs, were like, no, it's carried on our way. So, clearly didn't really know what happened and we asked her and she was like, I, I just heard that she wasn't coming back to the group. And so then it seems like they just, like Van Dyke didn't know that if it was an order from that, but it's just like they made that split second decision to like do something, which I guess some of the others didn't do today.
0: Do, do we have any idea whether Longo Borghini knew whether, whether this was like, a, like, so you mentioned before that, that it seemed like she attacked basically as we found out that Balsamo was, was DQ and the two seemed to be related. But that could just be us, you know, correlation, not causation. Do we have any indication as to whether that was, like, a, a, a team order or not? Do we, anybody? It
1: might have just been a lot of swearing in the team car that prompted <laughs> yeah, her to yeah. just get out of there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we, yeah, we, like, Longo Borghini's only just come past us after all of the TV and the podium stuff. I think then the written press get to talk to us, so we'll find out probably within 10 minutes for sure. In fact, one of us should probably go and be in that conference shall I run away now <laughs> I'll run away now
4: another thing I that take away from it is that we are not just in the air of two super teams we had FDG their DSM had two riders in the top ten so there were all in all six different teams in the top ten so it, it can, kind of plays to the strength of the women's cycling that we now have so many powerful teams but mostly they were riding for second place and it seemed like at like 15 K to go they kind of accepted that this was the case like with Ellen van Dijk and Lucinda Brandt in that group as well. It's like okay, there's nothing more than second place. So but having so many teams and so many strong riders is so amazing for the sport.
0: I mean we're still at at N equals two. Uh, you know, we've only got two editions here to talk about, but we're now two for two for solo breakaways, right? I mean is is this two times podium for Elisa. And two times podium for Elisa, yeah.
3: That well The stats are, it's still 100% score for the uh, solo breakaway, so nothing's changed there. But what I think that also indicates is that it is the parkour here that really affects how successful the breakaway is. You know, those cobble sections come so thick and fast in the finale, there's just no chance for a team to really get organised behind. And then also, when you come into the finale of a monument like this, the rival riders in the group behind they're never going to fully cooperate behind and and that's really what you know gives both those things combined just give any sort of breakaway whether solo duo a trio up front they just stand a much better chance of success than they would do in any other race and you know even in any other monument
0: yeah i had a quick chat with Alison jackson after the race she's just sitting on the grass over here in the infield and asked her specifically like Based off of what happened last year, was there sort of a, a additional, even more nerves than you expected coming into those first couple sectors? Because people would have been aware, yeah, something can go in Hornang and be gone until the finish line. She said, yeah, but uh, I'm not sure that it was actually many more than it would have been otherwise, right? I mean, it, you're still coming into the cobble sector. It, uh, the fact that it's possible to win there doesn't make it any more chaotic. It is already at max chaos. You can't really go any more chaotic from
1: Which there. We saw it firsthand.
0: We were standing there. Well, tell us about it. The race was was already in
1: bits at that point. It was.
0: And that's always stunning to me. So we were halfway through Hornang, right? They enter that that sector. It's got a couple sort of curves early on. And those are the kind of the ones that that last year Lizzie Dynam used to kind of get away. There's a right-hand corner on pavement. And then there's kind of this long, straight, relatively brutal, rough, but fast sector. And we were sort of just after that right-hand turn. So we're about halfway through. And even by then i mean how many groups was the peloton in six Lots. like it, it was it was yeah. already exploded and granted there was still quite a large sort of front group there and there were some crashes early on there were already riders with flats and things like that that, that, would, that would have sort of split the group but it was just it's always stunning to me how fast that happens
1: yeah the the brake was a at that point the brake contained um Well, the initial break that had Tanya Erath in it, and I spoke to her after the race. And actually, she was just coming back from a really bad crash at the women's tour at the end of last season. And she told me that the reason she was in that break is some Anna Kiesenhofer reason, as in she didn't (laughs) actually want to be in the peloton, or she wanted to be out of danger. So she was like, I'm just going to get in the break, so. I mean, it's a pretty good reason to be up there, right? Running, your shoe's falling off.
4: Right, then. Better that than my foot. When, when we were preparing to make the run-up, you know, the series that we do, we were told that Elisa Longoburghini would not ride Perry roubaix so that we would not include her in the series. <laughs> I am now doing the Italian hand gesture, my people. It's like, why? But yeah. She was bossing it. Last year's was third and, and this year winning it. She's, she's such an amazing human being. The wonderful thing about Elisa Longoburghini is that she always cheers for everybody else. She's always so happy when other people win. And I just want to put it out here. Her almost neighbor in the north of Italy is Filippo Ganna. Just leaving that here.
0: Can we talk about the the, the Balsamo the thing. Balsamo incident? Oh, are you out of here? Yep. On, that All right. All
4: right. on that note, say goodbye.
0: Bye bye. On that note, let's talk about the Balsamo incident here. Now we were, I should say, in the car uh, trying to watch this on tiny phones while Rona was driving around. It was a sticky bottle, and it was a pretty sticky bottle, but. I, I'm less interested in sort of like the whether she should be disqualified or not. I think that's probably a a reasonable call in this case. And more into what it seemed to immediately do to the bike race. Like it seemed to have a pretty dramatic impact instantly on the bike race.
3: Yeah, so I was driving, so obviously I didn't see the actual incident. So I can't comment on that really. And didn't see any of the attacking that immediately followed it, but I did see Balsamo arrive at the finish here in the team car and she was just absolutely distraught. I've never seen someone as upset about an incident. It was just, it was actually kind of awful to watch. It was, yeah, she was she just hugging her DS there for a while, and, you know, um, Ina was was sort of consoling her But what do you say, but what I really sort of liked was that she, as distraught as she was, she got on her bike, she came down to the Velodrome Centre to celebrate with her teammates, and many other riders with the World Champions jersey on their back might not have done that. Well,
1: obviously, at that point, maybe Trek, well, Trek's tactic probably would have been to try and keep the race together in order for her to sprint, maybe.
0: That that sounds reasonable to yeah. Me,
1: yeah. Um, you're really testing my tactical analysis <laughs> skills, actually.
3: So I'd sort of seen Elisa Bong Longo Borghini go clear there. She initially built up a 32 second gap, and that came down quite. well. I think it came down to like 11 seconds, didn't it? it? It looked like she was definitely going to get caught. And at that point, it kind of looked like Trek were in trouble because with Balsamo gone, three strong riders, but admittedly none of them with a sprint, it seemed like their you know their their risk could be escaping them there. Uh, but you know Balsamo pulled out that gap again, and having the two having Van Dyke and Brand behind just meant that they could disrupt the chase in any way they possibly could and that obviously had a huge influence but as for you know would we have seen Borghini make the same move or not had Balsamo not been disqualified I st- I still think Bar- Longo Borghini makes the same move at roughly the same time it's a great card to play it means that right, Trek have a rider in front other teams have to chase if they chase they bring Balsamo into the sprint you know so that it achieves Trek's objectives from the race without Trek having to actually force them with their full team they put one rider into a winning position and that one rider does everything they can to take that while Balzam over there possibly their plan A possibly plan B who knows can take the armchair ride with other teams chasing and if it comes back Trek still have a chance to win the bike race
0: yeah I mean it was it was tactically it was pretty perfect and again we're not entirely sure Johnny will maybe jump back in at some point and tell us whether this is the case or not we're not entirely sure whether Lago even knew, but the, the timing certainly seemed to be fortuitous in that, oh, all of a sudden our sprinter is gone, all of a sudden there's no reason to hold this thing together, I'm going to go for it, right? My, you know, in previous episodes we've, we've talked about sort of like woman of the match, bike racer of the match. That, to me, has to be Ellen Van Dyke, and it's not even necessarily for her influence on the race, although I do think that she did a pretty phenomenal job disrupting that chase, and that can't be discounted as a reason why Longo Birgini was able to make it to the finish line, right? And the reason why she gets my bike racer of the match is that she had a flat early on and chased back like a significant chase, not, not a small chase, not like a 15 second chase, like minutes. She came by us leading the group through Hornang, flatted shortly after as we were driving up to Monza Pavel and by the time we got to Monza Pavel half an hour later was already back on after changing a flat on the side of the road it was relatively quick change but you know I was, I was all the riders I talked to on the on the infield here after the race talk about how even the smallest gap it opens up and you're just like you just can't close it because on the cobbles it is so hard you're already so pinned and she's chasing back like 60, 90 seconds plus to get back into that front group. It was an absolutely incredible ride. And like I said, you can't discount her contribution. Well, her lack of contribution really to that chase, the the disruption of that chase that that kept her teammate off the front.
1: It's classic Ellen. She does it all the time. (laughs) It's just like her role in the team is so invaluable. She's the power behind like bringing brakes back or disrupting chase or being in the brake and driving it. Like, she's just so strong. This is why she's the World Time Trial champion. <laughs>
3: <laughs> she had absolutely no right being in that front group at the final there, having a puncture at that moment. Yeah, it was a relatively quick change from what I saw. But at the same time, she had lost so much time before she even got to make making the change. There was all the riders getting dropped left, right and center. And we didn't, I didn't really see her working back, but she obviously must have just been like weaving her way through them. and. We know she's not, I think it's okay to say she's not the best bike handler in the world. No. So perhaps just being out of the madness, chasing back on her own, maybe worked her advantage. That's a really good point. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm sure she would have preferred to be been off the front riding through on her own than off the back riding through on her own. Yeah. So.
0: yeah I think the issue for her is, you know, she could pull a Lizzie Dynan, right? Like she she could do that. And if she was given a gap, she could hang on to it. But no one would be stupid enough to do that. No. Like that, that, that every other team knows that it. It behooves them to keep her in the peloton, keep her guessing, keep her hitting holes and whatever else is happening in the chaos, because if you do give her clean air, she's just, she's going to be gone. And I think that she Which proved that Which is why,
1: today. again, like, it's, it, is, it is, like, obviously amazing that she, she got back on, but I'm not really surprised because, like, when she was off the back and she had the puncture and I was like, Ellen's coming back, like, she's <laughs> going, like, for sure, because... It's just what she does at the front of the race, but at the back.
0: What's amazing is she didn't bring anyone with her. She's that, too wow. strong,
1: no one could have. You no try to follow that? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, if she goes by, imagine like you're in group two. Like you're like, oh, that's my train. That's, that's I gotta get my train, I'm going to the front group. But nobody could.
3: I'd say most of them are thinking this day is bad enough without trying to follow that.
0: <laughs> no chance. Yeah, she did mention that she doesn't love, doesn't love the cobblestones. Uh, We did see, you know, we saw some cyclocross riders do quite well today. That's not unusual at all. Uh, Talked to Clara Hansinger on on EF afterward, and obviously a very good cyclocross rider, U.S. cyclocross national champion. And She did mention that that, those skills helped her, that she, particularly because it was dry, and this is kind of maybe backwards a bit. Well, at least backwards from what I would assume. You'd assume that, like, the riders with really good handling skills would gained most of their advantage in the wet, which I'm sure they gained an advantage in the wet, no question. But she said because it was dry and because she was comfortable essentially, you know, hopping back and forth on and off the cobblestones, onto the, onto the dirt, onto whatever else, she was also saying that she was taking kind of inside lines on the way into some of the sectors that no one else was taking. She'd just see like a little dirt path, and as a cyclocross racer, was just like, sure, I'll take that, and would cut off a whole bunch of riders and kind of come into the, the sector – With extra speed, like little things like that that can make a big difference Over the course of an entire race to the amount of energy that she's expending to the group that she can stay in She's pretty good day as a result.
3: I think the technical term for that is dive bombing (laughs) (laughs) Which is quite frowned upon
0: I mean she didn't take anybody out that we know
3: of Yeah, even though I didn't take people out people didn't appreciate it
0: (laughs) Uh, In mountain bikes we call it the French line and we are in France, so that's fine
3: I think we should mention Lotto Capecchi you know she yes. ended up second on the podium perhaps not the result that she wanted but at the same time to have one strata, one Flanders in the Belgian National Championships jersey and come here and run a pretty epic race you know she when she made her moves there in the closing sectors it looked like she was going to power clear now she seemed to have the snap to make the gap but didn't wasn't able to sustain it or the riders behind were just able to sort of claw their way back to her back wheel but I thought she rode in a an incredible race, you know, made the made the best of a bad situation when Longo Burguini was was going to take the win. And, you know, again to add to those two results that she already had a second place in Roubaix, that's 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 real flandrean kind of stuff really, isn't it? Like
1: I've just realised what S D works we missing today. Ah. Marlen Yeah.
0: Yeah.
3: Maybe that, was-
1: that wasn't gonna be the thing that changed this race massively, but she is their equivalent of like the ellen van dyke sitting on and pulling things back and just having that power so chantelle van de Broek black did a really good job and in the end like it was both her and pecky swapping off to get to bring um elisa back and we saw chantelle just drop off from that group as they entered the velodrome because she was obviously so knackered from that and yeah maybe just like one more person to help i mean obviously we don't know if Risa would have been up there, but if she was, she probably would have made quite a big dent on that gap that Elisa had.
0: Anybody else stand out to you as particularly influential in the day or just had a really good ride? A surprising ride, anybody?
3: Ellie rode pretty well. We, uh, we made a video about her bike this morning and I sort of commented she was maybe an outside favorite, but we kind of, at least I do, I and we continually think that she's, well, she has kind of passed her best, but still, you know, she was in a move there that looked quite strong at one point.
1: Yeah, she's always she's always kind of there. Like I, I it was a good ride from her. I'm not sure if it was surprisingly good because she is she's she's a little bit underrated, I guess. She's she's Is that an
3: is that an age thing or is that because she won the world Championship so long ago or why is it that she is? Is it the team? The the thing I find most interesting was that last year she raced here with crosstop brakes and this year she had no cross top brakes. I breaks. have
1: no idea what that means. Mm.
3: It was because she had hydraulic levers this year she couldn't have the crosstops. That's break. it then. I think we're getting off track here. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Welcome to Nerd Alert. Nerd no, no good.
0: what else? What else can we find interesting? Who else? who had a good ride, who had a bad ride, teams that, that surprised you or over underperformed? What what stood out to you, Amy?
1: Um, yeah, I think FDJ did a really good job today. Um They had riders in the break, they had, you know, Marta Cavalli having won um, Amstel gold would have been feeling confident today. And uh, I think fifth is a pretty good result for her. This isn't a race that you would say completely suits her on paper. Um, Marta Cavalli, have you got anything to say about Marta Cavalli, Ronan?
3: Well, it was Cavalli who was chasing down lot of Kapeki those couple of moves that she made in the finale, wasn't it? And closed the gap. At least the one move that I seen from Capecchi was Cavalli that, that closed it. And she certainly, you know, I guess crazily she wasn't really on my radar for today's race, despite the fact that she won Amstel Gold just a week ago, like but they're definitely I mean yeah, they're the
1: very train. different yeah. races.
0: Anybody yeah. else? I mean Cavalli was yeah, I think impressive in that I would say she rode she overperformed. Did anybody underperform? Anybody kind of surprised on that?
1: Well, it, it seems harsh to say Yombo visma because they were missing Mariana Voss, which is obviously Kinda a huge key. blow and yeah. would have clearly, by a mile, been their key rider. Um, in the absence of her, I guess Corinne Lebecki was their best bet. Um, but she, was, she finished around 24th, so like four minutes down. Um, so, yeah, it's hard to kind of rag on them considering... They lost their leader.
0: What about Canyon SRAM? Good, bad, they seem to be pretty active.
1: They were, yeah, they, yeah, they're, I suppose they natural. not true. I would have put their leader for this race as, as Alice Barnes, um, but their top rider, the top finishing rider was Elise Chabet in fourth, um, which actually thinking about it, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and yeah, Alice Bonds in the end did a really good job, um, like chasing down moves and um attacking at one point so why
0: do you say that shabby and fourth makes sense is that
1: well just thinking about the type of rider she is like she's that kind of powerful like she's actually really good technically as well like if you watch her descend she's an animal um so yeah i thinking about it like she wouldn't have really been on my radar at the start but seeing that she came forth isn't a huge surprise when i think about like her characteristics as a rider
0: well before yeah. we before we kind of wrap up for today, we do have to we have to get down to Compiègne, we have to get down to the start for the men's race tomorrow. But before we do that, a quick nerd nugget for everybody. Ronan, what did you see in the pits this morning?
3: Uh, well, I guess the most interesting thing is that new Trek money RSL. Uh, it is the RSL. I think we were told it wasn't the RSL, but it yeah, definitely uh, is the RSL. It says I was
0: I was I wasn't really told anything is the problem. We we saw this bike and I called Trek and they were like, "Ha! Ah, it doesn't exist. I don't know if it exists. I don't know what you're talking about." Just new color.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, they tried to tell us it's new paint. And we're like, "That's not no. We can see. We have eyeballs. Thank you, Trek."
3: anyway crucially it says rsl on the down tube and the uca approval sticker on it is trek 067 is the code which when we spotted this bike on the approval list about a month ago the rsl had the 067 code beside it so it's definitely a race shop limited uh, yep. model of the new demani
0: that usually Cru- means like a steeper steeper head t- or shorter head tube steeper angles things like that
3: basically a racer's bike yeah it's yeah. kind of the geometry they go for there um couldn't have been a better day for that new domani first and third on the podium that's you know the marketers are going to be jumping up and down with delight when they see that one uh but interestingly other things that we've seen i guess tires is the most interesting thing at roubaix always oh yeah quite a lot of 30s trek themselves were run, running 30s they had these like formula one-esque tires you'll see this all in a tech gallery later and you can see the domani in a gallery of its own but Interestingly, at the end of the, at the end of the race here, those Pirellis were quite well scrubbed. They, they went for a one stopper, and they, they just about got the <laughs> finish.
0: Well, Ellen had a one stopper. Some of them went for no stoppers. That way, you know, that's yes. That's sorry, bold it was a move. Yep, yeah,
3: definitely. <laughs> uh, other notable tire choices. Um, I noticed that. Uh, so Audrey Cardon Rogo had I seen that. Mechanic pumping up her tires. She went for 3.3 bar uh, of pressure. Can't work that out in my head what it is in PSA, but it's low. Yeah. Uh, not quite as low as Daglin went for last year, but a lot lower than what Lars Boom told me uh, the SD works girls were, or the SD works riders were running which was four bar on average he said depending on weight obviously but he said roughly before which seems high seems for high. Yeah. they were also running tubulars despite the fact that specialized had their new project black tubeless tires available to the team and another team running tublers was ef and they told me it was literally down to availability that they on the they said on the men's side some of the older riders are a bit stuck in their ways and want to stick with tubers but on the women's team or for both teams they just didn't have the option of tubeless due to lack of availability which is Ah. interesting and yeah just the sign of the times at the moment i guess uh lastly on tires team bike exchange the only team i spotted running 28 mm tires which both tubeless and tubular they were running 28s which rough a decade ago would have been massive but today is tiny (laughs) (laughs) one last ruby related nerd nuggets uh, we did, of course, be- build the best bike ever for Power roubaix as proved by Kaylee's new PR on the Ironberg yesterday. That was great. You can check out a video and uh, article on that bike pretty soon. But I've just been told, we, we lent that bike out to uh, one of the uh, Roubaix challenge riders today. And his words at the finish were, Ronan, you destroyed everything. You have now destroyed Roubaix. <laughs> this is too easy on this bike.
0: <laughs> I kind of agree, actually. <laughs> Jeff Gabush uh, just... He didn't tweet at me. He tweeted and then someone tagged me in this tweet at saying that I would have the answer. Just um, asked whether any pros were using front suspension or whether they were still stuck in their old ways.
3: Didn't see any front suspension. That actually reminds me actually that Lotto Kopecki finished on the podium on a S-Works Tarmac. Now, yeah. the S-Works Roubaix, it's not really suspension, but they've got the future shock up front, which is as it close helps. as you're going to I've get. It I've ridden yeah. cobbles on that thing. It's good. Well, both uh, Kopecky and Chantal van den Black had opted for the standard uh, Tarmac today, uh, running 30 mil uh, tubulars, as we mentioned earlier, which I found quite interesting. and. Yeah. We have heard some rumors that there might be a new Roubaix at some point in the future. Obviously, if it was gonna come this year, we would have seen it today, which we didn't. But it just goes to show you how far that the everyday road bike has come that it is now the standard bike for Roubaix also.
0: So there you have it. That's it from us today. Of course, we'll be back tomorrow once again from Roubaix. Like I said, we got a a bit of a drive ahead of us. We're gonna head down to the start tonight. Maybe have a little uh, Magreta canard somewhere in Compiègne.
3: Well, by recording here, we've opened up loads of time.
0: That's, that's, that's very true. That is very true. So we're going to pop this off to our editor. He's going to put this up on the internet as quickly as possible. And we will be back with another episode tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.